Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Right, we um, are in the middle of a series called The Gospel Ecosystem. You might be thinking, an ecosystem? What am I talking about? Well, ecosystem is a place where a whole range of elements work together in harmony, and all these elements come together, different things, and uh, they actually produce growth and health and life. And that's what we're looking at through the Bible as we think about God's ecosystem, the things that he's given to us that are all interrelated and interconnected elements that uh, produce growth in life for us as disciples, but also to call other people into to discover what God has given to us uh, to be able to grow and to find our fullness in him and to find our ultimate meaning and purpose and to live for his glory and in his joy as we do that together. So we've been going through that. So just to help us set the scene again this morning, picture this in your mind, and some of you may not need to picture this. It might have actually happened today. You've raced around on Sunday morning trying to get everything organised so that you can gather in community with Jesus. Small families are trying to get their kids sorted. They're trying to find clothes for the kids. Maybe they're trying to find some of their kids as well because they could have been running around the house. You're trying to get breakfast finished and that can be a chore. That was our space quite a few years ago. It was a major effort from the time we got up to the time we actually got in the car and we were still doing things to finish off in the car as we drove to church as well. And uh, it was an effort. Maybe in other situations, uh, you've woken up this morning after a really rough night's sleep and you still feel like a truck has run over you and you just don't feel that great at all. And you begin to think of all the effort needed and required to get to the Sunday gathering, to get to church, and everything within you just says, roll over and go back to sleep again. Anybody experience that? Heiko's about the only, I oh, know, Jan as well. There's a, few, there's a few honest hands going up. Yep. And as you're driving to church, uh, you go past a cafe and you see uh, families relaxing outside, just having a nice, quiet brunch together. And then your mind flashes back to the last hour or hour and a half of all that rushing around and doing everything to get to church. And you're looking across at this family and they're just enjoying brunch in the sunshine. And you might say, was it all worth it? All that running around to get this effort up to get um, to a gospel community and this family over there just seemed to be enjoying brunch at the cafe. Was it all worth all that effort? Answer, a resounding yes. A resounding yes. It's worth every effort to get together with God's people in community. This is the community that God has given to us as part of his ecosystem to grow. It's gathering together with God's people. Have a look at Acts chapter 2 as we begin to think about that now. And we're going to read uh, from verses 42 through to 47. Hopefully you've read through Acts chapter 2 as we put out in the email, but we're going to just, um, that'll set the scene, but 42 to 47 is going to help us where we're going today. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, Lord, thank you again for this opportunity as we can gather together as the community of Jesus. Father, I pray now, let your spirit work in our hearts as we begin to think about this beautiful uh, means of grace that you've given to us to be in community. Please open our hearts up now as we think about what Luke is telling us here as he summarises an early part of the church life in the book of Acts. We ask for your help now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So yes, we are continuing to map out the ecosystem that God has given us uh, for life and for growth. The ecosystem is really the practical means of grace that God has given to us, has ordained where we receive our nourishment and we receive our growth. These are the things that God provides for us to grow in him, to be strong, mature disciples, growing in peace and joy, growing in his love, but growing also together in community for and in his glory. Uh, So far in building the gospel ecosystem, we've built a foundation of God's word. You can probably bring that image up there, Jerry, that... um that's it, mate. Beautiful. Uh, we build a foundation of God's word and the Holy Spirit, driving and empowering everything we do. Deep in the word and deep in God's spirit is like the underpinning of everything we do here in the, the ecosystem that God's given to us. Then we looked at uh, loving God or God's love poured into our hearts, being that atmosphere that drives all of life, all of life because of his love, to live for his glory. And that fosters prayer and joy as we grow deeper in him. God's love, as it were, um, filling our hearts and lives and overflowing out of our hearts and lives as well. This week, this week, uh, we're going to look at um, God placing us into, uh, where God places us, sorry, with the gospel ecosystem. Where he actually puts us into. This is really important because we've got to understand that God doesn't leave us when he saves us through Christ. He doesn't leave us, as it were, floundering, alone, uh, floundering around alone like a fish washed up on the beach, sort of flipping and flopping, gasping for air. That's not where God leaves us when he saves us. Sort of, you know, now do it yourself. You're all on your own. Not at all. What God does, he places us into a community, into a community to be taught Jesus, to love, to be loved, to share life with and to pray with others. He calls us into community life. And that's where we're going to go today as we think about uh, this part of the ecosystem is gospel community is Christ-centered, others-focused, producing joy, generosity and growth together within this community. It's a really powerful thing that God has given us. Let's think about now the context, though, for the book of Acts that Luke has written for us. Really what it is, it's an account of the early church from the day of Pentecost, probably covering about 30 years or so. It's a description of the gospel uh, spreading out of Jerusalem and moving around the Roman world of that particular day. And what Luke does here through the book of Acts, he sort of writes, uh, records a piece of time period. And he does this sort of various aspects of of the book of Luke. And then he summarises at the end of this time period here, like a small summary statement that actually gives a description of what was taking place over the past 
could be in this particular one. It's probably over the last maybe few months, maybe, in this way, in this early part of Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, is one of these summary statements. This is how the early church looked as he summarises that period. And Luke writes here actually recording some of the, probably the earliest stage of the growth of the church. Uh, as you would have read through there, you would have seen the day of Pentecost had come. Peter gets up and preaches that sermon. 3,000 people are saved on that day. Now that's miraculous church growth. There was about possibly 500 at the time of the resurrection of Christ. Because it said that in Corinthians about 500 witnesses saw him. So we're thinking maybe that was the size of the church. But on one day, 3,000 get added to the church. That's like 600% growth. That's amazing. Lord... Bring it on, we say. Bring it on again. We pray for that. So that's what we see here is this summarising. This is how the early church looked. This is what what was happening in their lives. This is how God's spirit had worked in their hearts to open up the gospel. And here's how it is. So what do we see here as we think about this, uh, this summary passage that Luke gives to us? Well, Luke tells us here in verse 42, the first thing is that they are devoted to the apostles' teaching. As a community of new believers, God has called them from one way of life now to a whole new way of life. We understand now who Jesus is. We actually crucified him maybe just days, weeks or months before. But now we understand who he is. He is God's Messiah. He's come to rescue and save us. Now that we know that, they're saying, well, how do we live for him? How do we live for this risen king? God's appointed Messiah. Well, the apostles were the living witnesses to the risen Christ and had spent the last three years with Jesus prior to this, uh, learning from him, being trained by Jesus. So they too could actually now teach and train these new believers, new disciples of Jesus, exactly as Christ taught them. This is how you live. This is what you do now for the risen King because what he's done for you. And they pass on all that Christ had taught them through the power of God's Spirit, whom Jesus promised would come to help them to teach... And so they want to be taught how do we live. We want to be, we'll see our minds transformed and changed and renewed through this new teaching. How did this look? How did this maybe appear? I reckon, and as I've read some commentaries, it probably followed the synagogue patterns of the day. They were already used to the, how the synagogue operated on the Sabbath. They would go there and do that. So they probably just took that procedure or process and actually now... Put the gospel in there. Put Christ in there as the centre. What do they do? They gathered as groups. That's what they did in synagogue. Gathered as groups. Someone would read a passage of scripture. They would be selected from the Old Testament back then. And then that passage would be explained and then applied to their lives as their teachers or rabbis would step up to teach. These disciples here, they were hungry. They were hungry to learn about Jesus so they could live in a way that would bring him glory. So they were devoted, as it were, to the teachings of the apostles who were teaching them about Christ. Teach us, they would say. Teach us and tell us what Jesus said. So we see there early on in this, they were a learning community. They wanted to gather together to learn who Christ was and how he called them to now live. Secondly, fellowship. This gospel community was also devoted to fellowship. You see that in verse 42 as well. Now let's think about here what the word fellowship means. It is more than a Sunday soup that we have here at Exchange, which we'll get to taste later on. 
Uh, nothing wrong with our Sunday soups. Uh, they're excellent and I can smell a bit of an, an aroma coming out there now, so I'm looking forward to that later on. They're brilliant. But our Sunday soup is perhaps just a very small snapshot of what fellowship is about, particularly as we think about early community here. Fellowship here is described by the words, uh, and the word used in, in, in Acts there, is described by the words communion, participation, and, and sharing. It's like the common life shared together. Here is what this fellowship means. It's a commonality between us all, particularly the disciples of Christ, that we have this common element that binds us all together and we share all of life together in love and invested care with each other. It's not just a token relationship, it's a deep relationship. Have a look at verses 44 and 45 where we actually see this uh, caring and participation with each other demonstrated in the early community. Verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together. Okay, there's that sense of community again, gathering together. And had all things in common, sharing things together. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, possibly straight away, you're looking at verse 45 and saying, what does that mean? There's been a lot of confusion over the years, I think, with that verse particularly. I don't think Luke, I don't believe Luke is is advocating that we sell up everything and we live in a commune somewhere out in the desert. You sort of might get that as you read that text, that are we meant to just sell up and actually then share everything together as a group? I don't believe Luke's communicating that to us as he writes that. And and probably one of the reasons I see that is because we don't see any other explicit New Testament teaching here telling us that is how we're meant to live, in one big commune somewhere out in the desert and everybody's one big happy family. Even though the church is a family, that's not what Luke's calling us to do. What Luke's telling us, though, here is this common life together is about people who had perhaps excess possessions and belongings so they had more than what they needed they had excess and there's nothing wrong with that at all these people were willing to actually sell those excess belongings or possessions or whatever it might have been so that they could actually help out other people who were in need so this is a a beginning to open up a picture here of this early community filled with God's love I don't need everything I've got there's someone else who's in our community who's lacking I'm going to sell what I have and I'm going to share with them so they no no longer have to lack to picture here what was taking place this fellowship came about from this radical change of heart through the gospel it wasn't me in the center and what I can accumulate for my life is what how can I love and share with others how can I care for them how can I help them to grow and this deep love the gospel, uh, the love of the gospel and compassion and care for others saw people make this sacrifice to do that. They could have held on to their excess possessions and like, no, I don't want to do that. I can't do that while I see my brother or sister over there in lack. I'll part with that and help them. Now this fellowship here, it, it wasn't a surface level connection. It wasn't just you know, a sort of a cursory, how are you? Good, thanks. Okay, no worries. Catch you later sort of thing. It wasn't that type of fellowship here that was taking place within this community. This fellowship here that they were gathering in was the love of God flowing through their hearts and genuinely reaching out to others in a deep investment into their lives. 
actually knowing who they were, knowing what they were facing, knowing what they were dealing with, well beyond just a surface level connection with people in this community. This close participation of doing life together, because that's what the word fellowship means, that participation, they knew what they were facing. They knew if somebody had just lost their job. They knew of somebody who's just had someone die in their family. They knew of a sickness or a challenge coming into their life. So they actually drew close to actually share those elements of life together, as it were, to carry those burdens with each other. It wasn't surface level. It actually became invested into other people's lives. So they became somewhat open and, and vulnerable in this atmosphere of love and community. And it was a glorious thing to be part of as they could share this life together. Close, connected relationships are a hallmark of the gospel community that God has given to us. We don't do these things alone. We share them with others and we receive love and help and strength through them. Also in verse 42 we see this. We told that they were devoted to breaking of bread in gospel community as well probably means two things here when we think about that. Uh, they probably were sharing meals together, no doubt that was happening, and maybe even Sunday soups to grow. Yeah, Sunday soups to grow and deepen their relationships with each other. So they definitely were sharing meals, and hospitality is a fantastic way to actually just sit over a meal table and just begin to know someone better, asking questions about their life. So they're doing that. But I think also this breaking of bread probably means they were celebrating the Lord's table as well through the communion table. Remembering the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Uh, That is a vital part of growing in community too. They did that together to remember who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for them. And that united them together to grow deeply in Christ. Now that wasn't well looked upon by the Roman community or even the Jewish community. They, They actually mocked and laughed at a crucified Messiah. But that that united this community together strongly as they come around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You could mock me, they would say. You could laugh at me. You could ridicule me. But I know that's the very centre of my faith. That's the very centre of the gospel faith is the death of Christ. Without Jesus dying for our sins, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is nothing that would truly unite us together unless the cross is there. So they were devoted to the breaking of bread as well as they came together in community uh, to celebrate Christ. Fourth thing we see there in devoted in, in verse 42 is they were devoted to prayers. They were devoted to prayer. This gospel community that had newly come to faith were deeply committed to prayer. Again, this wasn't just a token thing. They were deeply committed to prayer. They knew that the engine room of life of receiving God's grace would be found in prayer before a sovereign God who had actually rescued and saved them. They could could tap into God's strength. They could tap into God's uh, encouragement and help in their life through prayer. Who was this community? They were a spirit-filled gospel community knowing and understanding that they could receive God's grace through prayer. And prayer actually helped knit them together as a body of people loving and serving Jesus. What did they do? They made time to pray. We actually see a number of instances of this through the book of Acts. Once when Peter was in prison, you see the reflection there that in another house, somewhere else, they were gathered together in prayer, praying. There's the community doing that. They prayed about what they were facing. 
the challenges they were facing as a persecuted community. They actually prayed that the gospel would continue to grow out and God's kingdom would expand and extend to see more people born again and rescued and saved. And they prayed that they too would grow in their maturity in Christ. Here's something fantastic in prayer. When you begin to pray with other people, corporately or even individually with others, you actually grow and deepen in a relationship. When you actually hear people express their prayers and you hear their heart coming out, you actually get to know them a little better. You begin to see the way God is working in their life and it knits you together closer with them as you pray. Prayer is a great place where God grows us in community to see his work growing in our hearts and lives. This is the gospel ecosystem here at work in community in the early church. It's the practical means of God's grace or his favour towards us to help us to grow strong in him and to overcome this world, this life that we're in and the challenges that we come against. God enables us, God grows us in community with other followers of Jesus. Through the apostles' teaching, through fellowship, through the breaking of bread and through prayers in community, empowered by the Spirit, God grows us. God strengthens us. God unites us together. What's our take on community as we think about that? Well, Western culture doesn't do community well. We're not great at it as a Western culture. In fact, we've actually crafted a culture of loneliness within our Western culture. Now, I'm not here to sort of bang on against social media, but again, social media has contributed to this. We've actually built a world or a platform in social media where we can show ourselves off. We become the expressive individual through social media. It's, it's a look-at-me world. It's a selfie world that we've actually built through social media and its various platforms. And what we show there through these social media platforms is what we want people to think about us. How we want people to perceive us is what we actually put up into social media posts, pictures or comments. If I want them to think I'm cool... Well, I'll try and show cool pictures of myself doing amazing things somewhere so that people will actually think, oh, he's cool, look where he is. So we put those sort of pictures up. Or we want them to think I'm a country lad, okay? So I'll put my pictures of myself up, four-wheel driving in the bush somewhere. Look, he's a, he's a country lad, he's got his flannelette shirt on, he's out there four-wheel driving and maybe even shooting a few kangaroos with a permit, of course. We put that up because we want them to think I'm a country lad. Or you might want to think you're a hip, trendy girl, lady. So what do you do? You go to the snow, you put all your nice snow gear on and you take some pictures up in the snow and you're sort of like, yeah, I'm with it, I'm trendy, I'm hip, I'm in the snow, I've got the latest gear on. What we want people to see or what we want people to think about us is generally what we put up on social media. Largely, largely... We only let people see what we want them to think about us. We don't want them to see what's really happening behind the scenes, what's really going on in our life. We don't actually want them to see that part of our lives. What does this do when we actually live like that? Well, it does two things. First, 
with all these photos of my, me in my best positions or best whatever, it creates a facade. It creates a fakeness. I heard somebody say once, it's not Facebook, it's actually Fakebook. That's what it really is in many respects. They don't see the real me, because I'm going to show you just a small snapshot of my life, all the good stuff, so you'd think all these good things about me. It does that. And secondly, what this does with this sort of you know, social media world we live in, we've become a very lonely culture, a very disconnected, lonely culture, hiding behind this fake front. We're desperately lonely, dealing with all our brokenness that nobody knows about because we don't want to put that out on social media or we don't want other people to see what's really happening behind the scenes. We want to keep all that stuff hidden away because if they see all that, they're going to think I'm a nobody. And we become desperately lonely when that takes place. The result of that is despair. The result of that is depression. The result of that is anxiety, it's shame, it's guilt, it's worthlessness and it's epidemic loneliness in our Western culture at the moment. We only want you to see this little small fragment of a life. We don't want you to see all this other stuff that's happening in my life. Why is that? Because we've lost our way and we've rejected God. Our lives are a trail of brokenness. Here is one of the deepest needs as a human being. It's actually a sense of belonging. It really is. Despite the connectedness of this world, we are definitely disconnected in a major, major way. God's created us to belong. To belong with him and to belong with each other in community. That's how God has created us. Now, we also don't do well in community because of our personal makeup as well. Some of us are introverts who can easily border on sometimes being reclusive in life. We can get so introverted, we want to pull back from everything and just retreat to my safe, happy space and not let anybody else get involved in my life. We become very introverted to the point on being reclusive. We're actually so happy in that space, we'll even avoid people in our lives because we just don't want to be with other people because we think that's going to cause me too much grief. We think that their hassles might come into my life and I just may not know how to talk to them. And so we actually retreat and we become introverted to the points of extremity at times. One of the underlying possible causes of this is actually self-centeredness when we're introverted. You might think, gee, that's a bit hard, Todd. It's actually true. When we're like that, we're only caring about ourselves. We're only interested in ourselves in introversion. We just pull back and it's just, it's about me. I don't want to be involved with anybody else. That's not the way God's created us. Not to be introverted and closed in. We need to recognise that about ourselves and begin with God's strength to push ourselves out of that situation. We struggle with community across a number of fronts. Not only the Western world and culture we live in, but also the way we've made up. But God has created community for us. And everything he does 
is for his glory and for our good. Gospel community is good for us. This is what God has given. It's part of the ecosystem of where we grow, of where we find his grace to become the people he's called us to be. It's really good for us, gospel community. Why is that? Well, none of us are the complete package. None of us are the complete package. We like to think we are at times, but we're not. We're all broken individuals who are in desperate need of help. Now, God knows we're broken. He knows every element of our lives. So what he does is he provides for us a community where he works through others to actually help us find healing and wholeness in our lives. He uses other people gathered around us to help us find that transformation in our lives. It's a really good picture of this here in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul takes this, uh, this example here of the physical body showing how all the parts of the body are needed. He says this in verses 21 to 26. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on, the, and on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to that to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, listen carefully here, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. big principle that Paul's talking about here, God's created us all differently to come together as this body to work and complement with each other, to support each other, to encourage each other, to help each other. If one member suffers, well, we all suffer together because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. If I know somebody's going through desperately hard times, well, we, we feel that. That's what that community builds and grows within us. It's that connectedness. And if someone's rejoicing over something in life, well, we can rejoice with them in that because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. God uses all these different individuals to complement us to fit together as a singular body. Now, what God does here is breathtaking if we care to see it. There's probably a large number of you people who are here today that I would never have any connection with in life had it not been for Christ. It's staggering when you think about different nationalities, different people from different backgrounds. God gathers us all together and unites us in Christ and uses each of us to strengthen and encourage and build each other up. It's just fantastic the way God does that as he works in that. But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy being in community. In fact, coming together in community is hard. What does it do? When you come into community, it brings both the best and the worst out of us. Why is that? Because I'm here and I bring my baggage, as it were, to the community. I bring my brokenness to the community. Now, a really small example of the best and the worst. Some people were probably sharing bedrooms last week at um, camp, some of the ladies and the guys. 
And maybe some people kept each other up at night. Yeah? You bring the best and you bring the worst when you come together in community. But that's what happens. You bring these differences and it brings both the best and the worst out of us. And we all experience that in life when we actually, if you get married, brings both the best and the worst out of you. It just happens. But here's what God does with us when we come into community with this best and worst coming together. He's actually teaching us not to be self-focused in community, but God is teaching us to be others-focused in community. It's not about me. It's about others. Remember that word fellowship? We saw there earlier on, devoted to fellowship, that Luke used. Paul uses a similar word uh, to show us what it looks like in Philippians chapter 2. Have a look with me in chapter 2 here, and uh, we'll see this same word pop up again, but actually Paul begins to explain what that looks like. Verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or fellowship, it's the same word in the Greek, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Stop there. So Paul's talking about this participation, this comfort, this love, this fellowship together as a body of believers in the Philippian church and having this one mind as we fellowship together. And look what he says in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So we're not self-centred, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That sort of flies in the face of Western culture. Western culture is sort of me first, me last and me in between. It's a very self-centred culture. The gospel tips that up on its head. That's not the way Jesus lived. And that's not the way he empowers us to live either. He empowers us to live by focusing on others and not, we still meet our own needs. We're not neglecting ourselves. He says that let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. But it's an others-focused transformation way of life. And here's the remarkable thing out of all that. When we begin to focus our lives on how we can serve others, as we participate in this true community through teaching, through fellowship, through breaking of bread, through prayers, with this other focus, we grow. We grow. Through serving and loving and participating with others, God grows us. The Spirit grows and shapes us in the gospel and matures us as followers of Jesus. Look at the fruit this type of community produced here in Acts. Go back to verses 46 and 47 and we see this little snapshot here of what took place. It says there, And day by day, attending the temple together, this is Luke summarising again the people, how they were, attending the the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with grumpy and stingy hearts. No, Luke doesn't say that. They received their food with glad and generous hearts and they weren't very happy about God. No, no. Praising God and having favour with all the people. What is the fruit of this community as they participated together? They are both joyful and they are generous. 
It's the Holy Spirit working the truth of the of the the cross, the gospel, deep into their lives, and you can get a real sense of this joy in this community, and praising God and having favour with all the people. As you read that, you just stop and just think and reflect on that. What a great community to be a part of! What a powerful community to be a part of! This is gospel growth and transformation uh, that takes place in the Spirit in community as they. community gathers together around Christ. This is the gospel ecosystem that God provides for us. He gives us community, a community of believers who encourage and strengthen us. Now here's the rub. All too often we can easily view God's community that he places us into as a take it or leave it attitude. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. We sometimes think we can, we can just do without that. You know, God's rescued me, he saved me. I don't really think I need to be part of that community. We can all think like that. Seasons of life come and challenge us and sometimes the first thing we want to do, we just want to retreat. I just need some space all on my own. I don't need the people around me and we want to do that. One of the first things to happen when we get outside of intentional gospel community is we grow cold in our gospel walk. We actually begin to isolate ourselves off and we isolate ourselves away from the very thing that God's given to us to grow. We haven't got that connection with others who are seeking Christ and trying to encourage us in growing in the gospel. We haven't got that connection with them. And when we lose that connection by our choices, our desires in Jesus, as it were, begin to freeze over in our life because we're beginning to isolate and withdraw away. Actually what happens is we lose love for others and instead of being others focused we become inward focused again which is not where Jesus wants us to be. As soon as we begin to cut ourselves off that's what happens. Let me finish with this I think really important word here that that Luke's placed in verse 42. Go back to verse 42 here and you'll see that word devoted. Devoted. There are no words in the Bible by accident. Don't discount any words in the Bible at all. Every word is inspired by God's Spirit. Luke has put that there for good reason. He's sitting back He's watched this community grow over the past weeks or months in this really early stage of the growth of the church and a word comes to his mind inspired by the Spirit and he says, devoted. The early church was devoted. Do you know what that means? It means they persevered continuously with a practice of dedication to the gospel community. It wasn't a take-it-or-leave-it option for them. They were devoted to these things. They were dedicated to these things. These people made gathering with Jesus' people a not negotiable aspect of their life. It was not, oh, well, maybe, maybe not today. They were devoted to this. They were dedicated to this. They were devoted to the Holy Spirit's gospel community that was being grown and formed at that time. They knew by practice and experience what they could receive from that community and they were devoted to it. 
if there's one lesson I've learned from the persecuted church and I see the way they conduct themselves, is the grace and the strength that they receive through being together in community. If those guys cannot meet in community, which sometimes there's only two or three or four, depending on the harshness of their country, they feel like they are starving. They are desperate. They are devoted to want to get back together with God's people. They know and they recognise how powerful it is and what God's given to them in this community. It's a real picture here of the strength and the grace that God gives. And I think sometimes in our Western culture, because we've got it so easy, it becomes a take it or leave it situation with us. We think we can live without it. We are fooling ourselves if we think that way. If I hear of any story of somebody, as it were, falling away from the faith, one of the first things that happens with them is they actually begin to just move away from the community, bit by bit. And they don't realise, but they're just growing colder and colder and colder and colder as they cut themselves off from that. So here's the obvious question. Are you devoted, just like this early church was, to the community that God has given us that provides for our growth in our hearts and lives? Are you devoted? Have you seen what God's given to you? Have you experienced it? Sure, it's hard. You can drive past those cafes and it looks wonderful what they're doing on a Sunday morning. And think all that effort, if I, it's worth it. It's worth it. Absolutely worth it. One last aspect here is a community like this is powerfully attractive for the outside unbelievers at this point in time because they are looking for a real authentic community, one where people love each other and they can share life with each other in a really safe space and find that help and strength. These are the powerful aspects here that God's given to us in community. He calls us to be in community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can open up the book of Acts. We thank you, Lord, for Acts chapter 2, where Luke gives us this summary of the early life of the church. Lord, as we think about that today, we just get this real powerful picture of the way the community gathered together, the way they shared life together, particularly in that early stage of persecution and challenge that they faced. We ask today, Holy Spirit, you would open up our heart, open up our eyes again to see what God has given to us through community. Sure, we understand, Lord, that it has challenges. I bring my own challenges to this community. But I thank you that you give us the grace to sharpen us, to transform us as we work through those challenges. God, I thank you for the love and encouragement that I receive through my brothers and sisters here gathered in this community. It does wonders for me, Lord. And when I see people away, it actually saddens my heart. My brother or my sister's not here. And when it goes on for week after week, Lord, very challenging. I pray again, please awaken our hearts, Lord. Help us to push through those challenges of what it is to gather together. And to see the powerful effects of grace that you bring into our life as we gather in community. To do this with humility, centred around Christ. And to do this with a joyful and a generous heart, Lord, that worships you in, in your gladness for what you've done for us. Father, we thank you for that today and ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.